We're going to continue in finishing up, or I don't think the story ever finishes, but continuing the story of when Jesus came. And it's glory to the newborn king. Can we just pray this morning before we go into the word? Father, I love you. I worship you. Lord, I want to give glory to you, the newborn and new old king, Jesus. You've been king for a long time, Father, but I pray that you would rest in our hearts this morning a new and profound sense that you are truly our king. Lord, we just give, we continue to give this time over to you, Father God. We continue to give the time afterwards over to you, Father. We continue to give all of our lives over to you, Jesus. Father, I pray that we would not miss opportunities to hear from you. Lord, I pray that we would not miss opportunities to worship you. In your mighty, mighty name, all of God's people said, amen. 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 I'm going to jump straight into the text if I can. I'm jumping books because Luke doesn't have the wise men. We all need some wise men in our life. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Don't you like it when the, the ESV is up there as well as on my page? Of Judea. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? Who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I'm going to come back to the text, but I just want to go to a very quick story. I, I, I think my mom was sharing this story with my, my children, and I think she was encouraging them what not to do through this story. When I was a young lad, my pastors, we went to a very, very small little church. My dad was the associate pastor, and my dad and mom both did worship, and it was a very small church, and it was in the Pentecostal movement, and we still had a, we still had a good time. We were in a little town called Green Valley. It's outside of... Um, Tucson, Arizona. It's closer to the Mexican border, um, but it's just, it's just a small little town, and that's where we, my parents were serving in the church. And I remember the pastors, some lovely people, Don and Hazel Thompson, and I remember they, they were very generous. One of the traditions that we would have is every Sunday after church, um, my, my dad served as the youth pastor as well as all sorts of other things that did worship and did all sorts of things, and his payment wasn't money. It was just to take us out to lunch after service. So I just remember this tradition of, of every week going. But I remember one Christmas, Don, Pastors Don and Hazel Thompson, they got me a gift. They got me this train. And, and you know, when you get a gift, what's the typical response that you do when you get a gift? 
you say thank you. You say, this is excellent. I remember this particular time when I got this particular gift. I think I was probably just a little bit too old for trains when I received this train. And I wasn't old enough to have maturity on how to respond appropriately. And I remember, I think this is my clearest Christmas spanking that I can remember. <laughs> is my response was not one of, thank you very much. I, I literally think, and I, I, my mom could verify the story, but I don't think she's here. Um, she's probably out with the boys somewhere. Is I think I was like, why did you get me this? Or something along those lines. I can't remember. I do remember the spanking, however. The Lord disciplines those he loves, right? And so I was, I was just as thinking about Christmas. Over-familiarity can, can have this effect where it wears down how we interact with others around us. And I, I promise that as, however old I was, I, I did have better manners inside of me. It, it wasn't that I was unaware of how to respond when someone gives you a gift, even if the gift was not the thing that you would pick out as your favorite thing. Somebody said, receipts are a great thing. Exchange that gift and get a better... No. But I, I had better manners inside of me. But familiarity, I was very familiar with these pastors. I was very familiar with what they did. Can wear down how we naturally interact with others around us. And I'll just fast forward to the present this Christmas. I was... I mean, I joke about Angie, but I mean, she's such a trooper and does so much. And she's, I think she called me a slave driver this morning for all the things that we have her do in church. But I, she's, she's so wonderful. But the person that helps even less than me of wanting to do some amazing things in church is, is my son, Bennett. And, and we've got Bennett Polson. I love that Bennett and Bennett share names together. There's not a guy that I would more appreciate to share names with than Bennett. And he's asleep, so it's okay. What... What Bennett does is literally, I think two nights ago, he came in four or five times. Now, he sleeps in his room now, which is excellent. It's just he takes detours to our bedroom to just have chats. Like literally, four or five times he came in, and he he knows he's allowed to come in because he can say, Mom, I love you. He knows that this is like an acceptable interaction that can happen. But he will come in at three in the morning, wake Angie up and say, Hey, Mom, I just want to tell you I love you. And then he goes back to his bed. And sometimes I'll wake up. He says, Mom, I love you. This happened so many times. Last night, he did a 4 to 6.30. So Angie's like, um, she, was, she was having fun with him, loving on one another in the middle of the morning. But the reality of life sometimes and the routine of life can wear you down. You can imagine how Angie and I, the first couple of times, maybe at 12 and maybe at 2, we really love him. But after a while, our love for him starts to diminish a little bit, at least in how we show it outwardly. But the routine of, of our lives, the routine of Christmas, this is another Christmas, this is another set of people that you've, you've maybe had the same kind of interactions with time and time again. But, but there was a moment when, in all of my love for my son Bennett, where I was, one of the nights when I was up really, really late because Bennett was loving on us, I started to just, as I do many nights, pray for my family. And so I started to pray specifically for the little baby girl that hasn't been born yet. And, and the name suggestions are just getting better and better. I'm just telling you, your name suggestions are really coming up there. But I started to pray for, for this little girl whom, whom we, we have such a strong sense of what we want the name to mean and we have such a strong sense of kind of the direction, but we're no, not quite there. But as I was praying for her, the miracle of children just kind of just settled on me. 
It's so amazing that you and I are alive and that we have breath and that the God who created this world created you and I. There was, there was this sense of like shifting from like, Bennett comes up to tell me he loves me one more time. Love is off the table, you know, like he's not allowed to anymore. He's not allowed to show his love. But it, we just, I just shifted to, and, and I went into the boys' room and I started praying for my boys. And there was this sense of just, a, a sense that it was, I, I saw them for who they were, not my children, but like, Children of God, I saw how small my role was going to be in their life in light of eternity. It can feel like on the fourth wake-up call of I love you that this is a never-ending kind of thing. But there was a sense of understanding who my kids were and how precious they were. This made me reevaluate how I reacted and responded to them. But familiarity can slowly take us, take us away from remembering the value of those around us. Hear that again. Familiarity can slowly take us away from remembering the value of those around us. This is so easy to happen with God as well. He is not just God, but He is King. He is not just God, but He is King. Hear this. The wise men, after following the star, are looking for a king. Where is He who has been born King of the Jews. And this morning, what I would love to do is to look at Jesus as King and see some insights on how we can bring glory to the newborn King. I won't sing the song for you, so I'll save you that. Glory to the newborn King. When I, when I looked at this idea of how do you bring glory to the newborn king, and I believe there's some, some powerful examples in this, this scripture, but I looked up the, the specific word glory. I love BibleHub.com. It's such a good resource. It has everything there. Just encourage you in your study. BibleHub is amazing. But the word glory, hear this this definition because it made me think a long time. The word glory here, or doxa, means exercising personal opinion which determines value. Exercising personal opinion which determines value. This, This struck me very strong. This term conveys God's infinite, intrinsic worth, his substance, his essence. This is just powerful that when we give glory to God, this is us ascribing value to him. Your worship, he, he doesn't become more valuable because of your worship. This is far more you as you give glory to him. How much does your life Give glory to him. How much value do you ascribe to him? And I love that from your personal opinion. To give glory to God is you personally ascribing the value that you hold for him. That is how we give glory to him. This, this, was the, this blew me away. So in light of that, let's look at what we can learn with the characters in this story and how they respond to Jesus as king. What do they do to give glory to God as king? I, I did quite a bit of research for this one of just looking up who King Herod was, and I'm going to share a little bit about that. Maybe you already know some of it. I didn't know some of it. But King Herod was a practicing member of the Jewish faith, and he receives news that the king has been born. And what is his response? What does the scripture say? He was troubled. Can you all say that with me? Troubled. He was troubled. What kind of things make you troubled? I was thinking about that. What makes you troubled? What's assignments? Oh, man. 
The one thing, what's that? Heat. Uh, we're all troubled right now. Not enough sleep. I was thinking about what I'm troubled by. I'm, two things I'm very troubled by in my house right now. We have cats, and these cats, we don't have cats. We don't believe in that. <laughs> we have cats that come and visit us and use our facilities, and they don't ask to come into the restroom. We, we also have, our laundry has this, it's a, there's a leaky um, faucet, and I've purchased new of everything to try and see what it is, but it still leaks, and so we have to turn the water off every time we do the laundry, which is fine, but it's, every time I see that puddle of water, I become very troubled. <laughs> it's the same, we, um, it's been so cool catching up with Joel and Tammy, and we're just talking about some of the nuances and things that, um, that can, can um, endear us to our significant other. And one of the things that Angie just loves about me is sometimes I have this like little corner in our house that I think she doesn't know about where all of my clothes that I just haven't decided if it's dirty or, or, or if I can just have one more go around. There's this corner in my house and like uh, Angie's found this corner. So I'm going to have to find a new corner because um, otherwise she is troubled. But Herod's response was to be troubled. I think this is so interesting. He was troubled. Now, we like to be in control of our lives, and when something happens that takes that control away or has the possibility of taking that control away in big or small ways, it can leave us troubled. It can leave us troubled. What does troubled mean? It means beset by problems or difficulties, showing distress or anxiety. Herod was troubled by the news that the new king, Jesus, was born. The new king of the Jews has been born. Now, the the irony here is technically if one were king of the Jews, he would be the first to rejoice that the prophesied Messiah, that the prophesied Savior, that the prophesied king had been born. This would not be an opportunity to be troubled. The king of the Jews should be rejoicing that this has happened. And, And also... We, we don't get to, to, to let Herod off the hook because he actually believes that the king might have been born. How do we know this? He actually goes, he says, all of, all of the scribes, all of the priests, tell me, where is this king said to have been born? And they, t- they tell him where? In Bethlehem. He believes that the new king could have been born. So the question is, why was Herod so troubled that the king was born? I know many of us probably have a lot of insights into that. Some of it is fairly obvious, but let's just, just go there for a moment. What is a king? A king, by the, defini- the dictionary's definition, is a male sovereign or monarch, a man who holds by life tenure and usually by hereditary right the chief authority over a country and people. I found it so interesting, and Bruce could probably school me on the, the next levels of this, but did you know that King Herod was not even a Jew. He was of Arab descent. And the way that he had found his way into kingship, he was king of the Jews at that time, was a Roman appointment. His father was very highly connected with some of the bigwigs, and as such, it was political maneuvering that put King Herod in the place of king. He wasn't king by hereditary right, And now, the true king had come. He was the Roman-appointed king. Herod was troubled because he knew that what he had attained in life was through 
human efforts. It was through political maneuvering. He was, in fact, king over a people whom he was of different descent. There are areas in your life that will start to become troubled when they come into contact with the king of kings. Anything in your life that has not been given over to the chief authority of who the king is will start to become troubled. It will start to to get a little bit worried because there's a new authority that comes. And this is one of the things that struck, why I wanted to explore Jesus as king because I think we get really familiar with Jesus as friend. I think we get really familiar with Jesus as a really safe, a safe place in church where it's just really nice. Can I tell you that he is king? That means that he is the chief authority over your life. He is not only the king by any position that man has put him in, but he is the rightful king. He is the king of kings. As we reflect, it is too easy to be so used to him, and so we don't treat others in light of the king, and we don't treat him in light of him being the king. There are areas in your life that will start to become troubled when it comes into contact with the king of kings. Those areas where you've been given your authority by man rather than God. For it is not by your strength that we can do anything apart from Christ. He is the king. While Herod was right that authority was now shifting from him to Jesus, there could not have been anything more liberating for Herod had he had a heart to receive. For what you gain on your own, you will have to keep on your own. But, when God, but what God releases to you cannot be taken away. What God's plans for your life cannot be messed with. And that's one of the things I just, I just wanted to pause for a moment. Because it's like, yep, Jesus is king, cool. We sing the songs, it's cool. Yep, we worship, this is the space where we do it. Can you just pause and reflect on the fact that he is king and that when we talk about living in purpose, that we want to be a, a people living in purpose, this is not some like man idea where we think like, I really hope that God has given me a purpose. No, I, it's, it's not even a, a fabrication in my mind of I think this might be a good thing to do, but what, what God instates, no man can take away. That should start to to lift some confidence that we might at first be a little bit troubled by some of the areas in our life, but it's actually the exact opposite, that as we surrender to the king, his call, the purpose on your life, it can be fully released as you surrender to him as king. Hear this, what you get on your own, you will have to sustain on your own, and you will not be able to. But what God gives cannot be taken away. So as you walk in your God-given authority in your life, you have a king that represents and has sent you. That is such a different mandate to walk out. The first thing, I've just got three quick things that you can do to bring God God glory. To bring glory to the newborn king is, is number one, is do not be troubled. Do not be troubled. John 14, 27 says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace, and this is Jesus talking, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. See, our king brings peace. Our king brings peace. This king offers something that whatever you have found in this world is different. Herod's response to the king was to be troubled. But as you let God work in your life, as you release control, 
Remember, troubled. What's the source of troubled? Something that you can't control. You release control to the king of all kings. We often fight so hard to control our lives. I don't know about you, but we often find it so hard to let go of the steering wheel and trust. I mean, I would recommend you don't let go of the actual steering wheel in the car. We, but as the angels declared, it is through us giving glory that peace comes. Luke 2.4, we read it last week. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The opposite of a troubled heart comes when we release control to Jesus and he gives us his peace that surpasses understanding. I can't emphasize this point enough. If you are troubled this Christmas season, I want to submit to you to submit those troubles to the king. You have a king who is powerful. If you are troubled, I don't care the source of your trouble because God is king and is the chief authority over all troubles. If you want to give glory to the newborn king, the the first way that you can do this is do not be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't don't allow your peace to be stolen because that that just reflects that we're trusting in someone other than ourselves, other than God, in ourselves or in someone else. Verse 7. Sorry? Verse 9. Verse 1. Oh, I'm going all over the place. I just want to recap a little piece, and I'm going to go into the second point. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. After skipping ahead a couple of verses, 2 verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Here's the second thing. The second thing we can learn from this story on how to bring glory to the newborn king is come to worship. Come to worship. Do you notice that in faith there's a lot of reoccurring themes? And it's like, Jesse, another passage on worship, like you've already spoken about this a lot. We're not going to stop speaking about it. Our mandate is to give glory to God, glory to the newborn king. And one of the fundamental ways, the chief purpose that these wise men that traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles came, they declared their purpose. They declared their intent. They came, why? We have come to worship him. I was just thinking about it in light of how sometimes it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm so tired this Sunday morning. I know there's an opportunity to worship, but, you know, next Sunday's coming. Put that in light of these these gentlemen, night after night, mile after mile, with one intent and one purpose, to come to worship him. Can you imagine the hunger to see this king that these wise men must have had? Can you imagine their conversation over those cold desert nights? Can you imagine the wonder that, they, that, were, that was in their hearts to keep them going night after night of travel? This is powerful for us to gain perspective on the power of worship. And then I think it's so interesting that Herod comes into the equation with this idea of worship. Herod is also aware of the role that worship plays with bringing glory to the king. He knows that a king deserves worship, that a king deserves glory. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod knows that the appropriate response is to worship the king. He even declares his intentions to worship him. But hear this. It is one thing to know that worship is a great idea. I can't express this enough. The essence of worship is releasing this, is releasing down. The essence is releasing my way. The essence is, is, is relieving ourselves and surrendering completely. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But it's one thing to know. If there would be anything that I could encourage you over 2018, as we're almost on the precipice of it, is fight to have authentic worship in your life. Worship, and not, not just in the singing form, but singing form is a great excuse and opportunity to worship him. Worship is going to be the foundational way in which you surrender to Jesus. It's the, it's the point where you pause and you say, actually, God, in this moment, I'm giving over any, everything to you. If you don't have moments like that, I want to submit to you that you're not worshiping. It's, it's one thing to have an idea. It's one thing to say, my life is serving the Lord. But if you don't have moments, as, and we've talked about it before, if I don't have a moment where there's intimacy between Angie and I, and, and I actually stop and I tell her how much I love her, not as much as Bennett and not in the middle of the night, there has to be moments where we surrender to one another and where we express that love and, and care. Can I encourage you? Come to worship to give glory to the King. I just, my heart is so heavy for this idea of worship. This is not a part of the service where we stop. Worship is one of the fundamental ways that we can give glory to Him. It, it's not just a topic that we're going to keep talking about. This is, this is who we are. People of worship. People of surrender. It's not about trying to do anything else. It's about surrendering to the king. We cannot be bored with worship. If you're bored with worship, you don't know who the king is. I'm telling you. Push in. Find him. He is not just some deity distant. He is the king. If all of you were to meet the king or the queen, you would show signs of respect. Why do we not do the same when we come into worship before him? Familiarity kills our worship. Routine kills our worship. Can I remind you this morning that he's the king? He is the king of kings. Come to worship him. And just to kind of see, are we in that zone that the wise men were in? Let's look at how did they worship. When they, star, when they saw the star come to rest, what did they do? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a challenging word. I've watched how you all worship. I look in the mirror and when I worship and I say, Jesse, where's some of that joy? They rejoiced. They didn't, they didn't make their way through that time to worship. When they had the opportunity, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Those words are not just words. This was the response of the wise men to the king of kings. 
They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Does your worship reflect you rejoicing exceedingly with great joy? Sometimes we may just need to take a moment and step out of the familiarity with church, the familiarity with the songs we sing, familiarity with our daily understanding of God, and allow him to touch your heart again. To have that sense of awe that comes through realizing the miracle of him saving you, the miracle of how awesome he is, the wonder of his grace that covers all sins, the purpose that he has for your life. It was that moment that I had that when Bennett was just like coming in an extra, an extra day. It was just that last time and I was like, God, this kid. But as I was praying, God just, he laid this sense of like, he's not just Bennett coming in to say, I love you. He's my child. It's not just, your, it's not just a girl that needs a name. This is, this is someone that I've predestined from the beginning of time to have life and to express purpose. And can I just reflect to you this morning, can we please in this Christmas season, not just go continue to go about our life? Can we not just continue to be really sure with our faith, but can we be a people that get a new and fresh sense of awe and only God can bring that to us? Only he can, but we need to pause long enough for him to bring the sense of who he actually is. Can we come to worship him? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. When they came to the foot of King Jesus, their response was to fall down and worship. Do you get a sense that this is a real king and not just someone that we're really familiar with? This is is King Jesus. And that our response in worship isn't to just last, and I'll just speak to our worship times here. Don't last through it. Fall down before him. Use this as an opportunity. If you have other opportunities, go in. But if this is your opportunity, use it. Meet with him. He is the king. He's not just this familiar guy that I know and that I've spent a lot of time with. He is the king of all kings. He is the creator of this world. He is the one who formed you in your mother's womb. We have to let this sink into us because our pride rises and we're so content with our lives or we're so discontent with our lives. Allowing God to come in through worship is one of the primary ways that we will be successful in releasing purpose in this place, in this city. The sign of complete surrender. When we come into worship, we need to come with spirits that have let all of our walls down. Spirits that come into his presence submitted completely to him. To bring glory to the King of Kings, the second thing we learn from this passage of the entry of King Jesus is to come to worship him. Last point. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I love that phrase. They opened their treasures. They opened their treasures. I think too often we just skip straight away to this idea that What were the gifts that the wise men gave? And it talks about that they offered him gifts. But it begins that passage by saying they opened their treasures. And I just looked into this this word treasures that's used here. And it's properly stored up treasures or riches or a storehouse of treasure, including treasured thoughts stored up in the heart and mind. It's just that 
this wrapped up in the definition of this word treasure is, is those concepts. They're treasures, they're precious things, not limited to those things even stored up in your heart and your mind. Hear this. The final thing that you can do to bring glory to the newborn king is to give away your treasure. The final thing you can do to bring glory to the newborn king is to give away your treasure. Those in any kingdom work tirelessly to store up treasure for their king. So, but let's just look specifically at the treasures of Jesus. And I don't want to do a too intensive a study, but just looking fairly generically. What was the first gift given? Gold. Do you know what gold represents? Gold was a king's gift. There was association with king. So by giving the gift of gold, it was, it was prophetically declaring, you are the king. That's what the gold represented. The next thing, frankincense, to go back to our last point. Frankincense was used in what? In worship. The gift of frankincense was a gift expressing worship. Expressing this, this worship to the king. And the last gift, myrrh a perfume to put on dead bodies, signifying his death and resurrection where he broke the curse of death and purchased eternal life for us. Do you notice how each one of these things were given to Jesus specifically to prophesy to his identity? I think it's significant. So each gift was given to Jesus, actually prophesied to the identity of Jesus, something that pointed to who he was. And here's where I just put the lens back to you. What treasures has God given you? What treasures has he given you? For just as he gave everything away for us, he would see us give our precious things, our greatest treasure, back to him to be used for his glory. I just think about the plethora of gifts and and just unique things and people that we have here and, and the things that they can do. But each gift was used to glorify God in some unique way. And each and every single gift that the Lord has given us, has given you, has given me, is to be used to glorify King Jesus in some unique way. This last point of giving away your treasures is not just, do you have something to give like in your offering weekly? This is saying the treasures that he's put inside of you, not limited to and stored up, the deep recesses and the thoughts and desires of your mind. Are you giving away your treasure? Are you giving away or are you keeping the best for you and building your kingdom? Because we have a king who we want to be building and giving away our treasure to express his kingdom. What treasure... And this is the the last layer. Do you have that reveals something about God? Because what he's given you will always point back to him. Just Just as each gift given reflected his death, his kingship, that he's a person to be worshiped. Do you know that you've been given treasures exactly in the same way to prophesy about who Jesus is? And just as we do that, he prophesies back to who we are, and there's this beautiful relationship. I can't encourage you enough. The Christmas story is not just nice and Jesus born and he's come again. There's so many facets of how we can give glory to the newborn king. The first is do not be troubled. You have a king who is covering you. You have a kingdom in which you're living to express his God, the God-given things he's put inside of you. Come to worship him. Do not bypass the product of worship because you will have an impotent Christian life without worship. If you are not connected to the source, if you're not rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, if you're not falling down and worshiping him, check yourself. 
Where are we going? And the last thing, are you giving away your treasures? What treasures has he entrusted you with so that you could give them back and prophesy back to who he is? Amen.